We are talking about our core values that we hold to as a church, and last week unpacked this reality of Christ as supreme. In John's apostle, John the Apostle, also called John the Evangelist, opened his gospel this way in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. This is how he introduces the Supreme One. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In John's introduction of Jesus as the Word, which is also tied to his introduction in his Gospel to Genesis when he says, in the beginning, he's revealing by these two things, in the beginning was the Word, He's revealing that he's speaking to both a Jewish and a Gentile audience. In other words, he's saying, this word, this logos, is not just for the Jews. He's not just supreme over the nation of the Jews. He's supreme over everyone, over all mankind, the entire universe. And this is why he follows his introduction, just like we studied last week, in Hebrews, and then also our passage in Colossians, John likewise says, all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And in Him is life, the light of men. John is saying that Jesus is the living Word. When he uses this phrase, the Word was with God, that same term could be rendered face to face. So in said another way, you could say that Jesus was face to face with God. This idea of faces is all throughout both the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's meant to represent somebody's whole person, their personality. That when you're face to face with God, or as we sing sometimes in worship songs, show me your face. We're asking God to show us his whole person. And John says that Jesus was face to face. Their whole persons are together. He is saying very clearly that Jesus is God. And so in the first five verses of the opening of his gospel, John establishes Jesus as the Word in personality, in coexistence, in pre-existence, and yet distinctiveness. He is, he is indeed God. The Word come alive. So if you can see from this passage, if we hold to the supremacy of Jesus Christ as our first priority, which is what we talked about last week, then it is natural that we should also stand on the authority of the Word of God. You with me? 
If we say Christ is supreme, and John says, and He is the Word, that shapes our core values as a church. Christ is supreme, and He is the Word. He is God who has been revealed to us. He is truth, completely incarnate. If you want to know, man, what would that, how would I live that out? What would that look like? How does that truth manifest itself? What does that truth look like in real life? It's Christ's, His whole life and all of His teaching. Not only is Jesus the perfect manifestation of God in our existence, we said last week that He is the full and complete embodiment of what it means for God Himself to enter His created world. God Himself said, I'm going to make time and space, and then I'm going to enter that time and space in order to relate and to befriend and to love and to nurture humans. And when He came into time and space, He comes in in the person of Jesus so that we can touch Him and feel Him and see Him and relate to Him. So He walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. Friends, this is really good stuff. Yeah? And so those things being true, He is the perfect embodiment, the complete embodiment of what it means for God Himself to enter the created world. But He is also the Bible come to life. He is the living analogy of all the truths of the Bible. All of God's truth in one person. The living Word. Everything in our universe pivots on the truth of who Jesus is and what He taught. He is the Word. God. Saul was a Pharisee. His whole life was consumed with the traditions of his people, the Jews. If there was a man-made law written about God, Paul followed it. He knew the Tanakh, the ancient Hebrew Scriptures, backwards and forwards, literally. He could find it by pointing randomly a pen and then carry on the quotations of it for until you told him to stop. He was schooled in the best religious schools and taught by the greatest religious religious scholar of his time, Gamaliel. But in spite of his knowledge of the Bible and all of the man-made rules that had surrounded his understanding of Scripture, Luke tells us that Saul didn't see what should have been plain to him. When Jesus was walking along the Emmaus road with his disciples, Luke tells us that he started in the prophets and walked through the Bible and told them all about himself. Paul, knowing the scriptures, should have seen that. But for all of his religious training, his knowledge and fervor, Saul was blind. He needed the light of men in order to see. He needed the living Word in order to have sightedness. But his own pride and lust for power and holding on to the traditions of men over God's Word left Saul spiritually blind. 
And although his eyes, Saul's eyes were opened, he saw nothing. Acts 9.8 So the Supreme One, the Living Word, the Light of Men, makes Saul's internal, internal spiritual condition an external physical one. And so this Saul of Tarsus who was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord and was on the way to Jerusalem to, ins- to imprison and to punish his disciples is forced to the ground by the presence of the light of men. And now in his blindness, Saul asks the light, Who are you, Lord? And the light says to him, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Jesus showed himself supreme to Paul and all the pieces come together. He sees for the first time in his life. And upon seeing Truly seeing, Saul becomes Paul. I was really tempted to do a blinded by the light reference in here, but I'll skip that. But it is true, he was blinded by the light. Paul's eyes were open to the light, the word of life, Jesus. And from that point on, Paul would live by follow and give his life so that others could come to see what he now sees. So he says this to the Ephesians, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe, according to the working of His great might, so that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places, far above all rule and all authority, and power and dominion above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Paul is saying Christ is supreme, and he is the living word. And it is through him and by him that we all see at all. And so what we see from this point forward is in Paul's life, his aim was to be like Jesus and to spread the meaning of his life and his message and his teaching. And for Paul, nothing else mattered. So here is his testimony about that as he shares it with the Philippians. If anyone thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever I had had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything a loss 
because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom sake I have lost all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Verse 10, that I might know Him and the power of His resurrection and might share in His sufferings becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I might obtain the resurrection from the dead. Paul came to know and wanted to know more and more Jesus, the Word of God. If you're following me, Paul knew the Scriptures, but he was blind. And then that is all unlocked for him in the person of Christ. And his whole view of the Scripture is completely changed. It's unlocked. He understands life. He sees the Old Testament like he's never seen it before. It all comes to life and makes sense. And it's all about Christ. Jesus for Paul. The Gospel authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all capture the words and the teachings of Jesus. Acts is an account of how the first believers sought to apply their teachings to His life and to their life as a community of followers of Jesus. The epistles are an exposition and a development of Jesus' teachings. And so Paul says to the church at Rome, faith comes from hearing, faith comes through hearing, and hearing, how? Through the Word of Christ. This is where we get life. I thought I had life. I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought this was what was going to make my life work. And then I met Jesus. Everything changes. There's a lot to be said about how God's Word became God's Word, the Bible. So if many of you are following, you might be thinking, well, yeah, but Paul didn't have the whole New Testament, did he know? There's a lot of questions we could talk about, and we're actually going to do that in a series that we're going to start in the spring of 2023 called Absolutes, and we're going to go after some of how did we get the Bible in the form that it's in, and why should we believe the Bible, and how do we know the Bible is true, and why 66 books, why not 68 or 69? Or And so we're going to talk about some of that stuff. But for our purposes today, we need to just remember this, that when we do, that what we do when we trust in the Bible as the Word of God to us is exactly what the apostles did when they trusted God's Word in faith as His words to them. And it's also what the early church did. We are putting our faith in Jesus as the perfect representation of God Himself. He is all of God's words rolled up in one person. 
He is the perfect representation. He is truth manifest in a life. And all, all Christians, including us for all time, put the faith, put their faith, put our faith in God's Word because it's what we see and saw Jesus do. The disciples knew, the apostles, that if you pushed Jesus for an answer, if you pressed Him for an answer to a question, if you painted Jesus into a corner, He would come out swinging with the Word. If you pressed Jesus We need to know this. If you tried to trick Him into saying something that you wanted Him to say, Jesus would come back with the words of God. So in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1-11, through Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and the tempter came to Him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. This is something else we're going to, we're going to study. This is really powerful to me. Jesus is tempted by Satan in the first temptation and, and this, the evil one says, well, yeah, let, me, let me throw this temptation out to you. Jesus responds to the word. The second time the evil one presents something to him, he warps scripture. He actually says, well, actually it's written. How many times, church, are we going to face in our life when we present truth, somebody's going to come back with another biblical truth that's not exactly what the passage said, but it's warped in order to make their point. And yet Christ stays rooted and grounded in God's Word. And he said, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And then again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All of these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Be gone, for it is written. You shall have no other gods. You shall worship the Lord your God and you shall serve Him only. In Matthew chapter 15, the Pharisees and the scribes come to Jesus from Jerusalem. And they say to Him, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? You're you're coming at me with man-made laws. Uh, It is written. Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded... Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles his father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother what you would have gained from me is is given to God, 
he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, and now he quotes to them again the word of God, this people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You're telling me that the truth of men is the staple, it is the thing, and it isn't. It's God's words. And then in Luke chapter 16, Jesus is telling a story of the rich man and Lazarus. And we taught on this earlier last year. Maybe you remember it, but most of us know the story. At the end of the story, the rich man urges Abraham. He's in complete and utter pain. He realizes he's in hell and there's no way to recover. And he urges Abraham in the story, send someone from the dead to warn my brothers about the place of torment that the rich man that he has found himself in. And as Jesus tells it, Abraham responds, they have Moses and the prophets. They have the word of God. Let them listen to God's word. Let them hear them. And the rich man says, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, if they will not hear God in his word, no miracle will convince them that he exists. This is Jesus telling the story, church. This is extremely powerful. How often do we think if God would do this miracle or if somebody would get healed and people would come to see? Not true. If they will not believe the word, they will not believe the miracle. They'll explain it away. That is Jesus' opinion, not mine. If you push Jesus for an answer you are going to get the Word of God. And like his teacher, if you push Paul, you are likewise going to get the Word of God. Romans chapter 15, verse 1-4, through 4, Paul says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the fallings, the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each one of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please Himself, but as it is written, and then he quotes Psalm 69.9, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. See, if you push Paul for an answer, you are going to get the Word of God. And so when Paul goes to train Timothy as a young pastor leading a church, Paul urges him, like me, like Jesus, Timothy, if you get pressed for an answer, you will respond with the Word of God. You have no human wisdom on your own. So in 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1, Paul says this, 
But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self and lovers of money and proud and arrogant and abusive and disobedient to parents and ungrateful and unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen, without with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth, just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. I'm just telling you this, Paul is describing his culture, and he's saying this is going to be reckless and hard and treacherous and difficult, and there's going to be people all over, and you heard the list, and then he says, after this, all is going on, you, however... Timothy, this is going to be different for you. If the world presses you, you press back with the Word of God. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium. Man, this is, can you imagine being able to say this with Paul? You followed me. You've seen me. When, when, when people have pressed me into the corner, I have fought back. With what, Timothy? You fought back with the Word of God. That's right. It's all I've had. And I've laid it all on the line to get people to see as we see. You, whoever, after you followed my teachings, And all the persecutions I endured, which the Lord rescued me from. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Timothy, there's going to be badness going on all around you, and the people that are perpetrating the bad, it's going to appear as if they're going on forever, without resistance, and you're experiencing resistance. But then he says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for the salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Timothy knew the sacred scriptures. I want to get into this too deep. I want to steal some of the guy's thunder who's teaching uh, coming up in October. But but Timothy would not have been allowed. He was what calls a mumser. He was a half-breed. He would not have been allowed in the temple. Where did he learn the sacred writings then? From his mother and his grandmother. Moms, you hearing me? Grandmothers? Do you know what Timothy, what Paul appeals to in the heart of Timothy? 
the truth that was planted in him by his mother and his grandmother. The word of God implanted in a little half-breed who couldn't go into the temple. And now Paul appears to the sacred writings that are implanted in his little tiny heart by his mother and his grandmother. Preach on, moms and grandmothers. Push the word in. It will produce fruit. Your job is huge. And it's in this place that Paul appeals to what was laid there. By faithful women who when pressed into a corner spoke the word. How from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God, the woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. You have everything you need to make disciples. It's what he's telling them. And then after he says this, all scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for the teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Then in chapter four, verse one, he says, Paul says to Timothy, I charge you therefore, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom. Here's what He's charging Him. Preach the Word. Teach the Word, Timothy. If you're painted into a corner, come out swinging with the Scripture. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Church, great verses. In the, in the midst of a chaotic culture, things going haywire everywhere, being persecuted or looked down on because of your faith or talked about, wondering if we're making a difference, pressed into a corner, Come out swinging. Verse 3, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Paul tells Timothy that all Scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable. Numerous times in both his letters to First to Timothy, in First Timothy and Second Timothy, Paul urges him, stick to the Gospel of Jesus Christ. St- stick to the sacred Scriptures. Immerse yourself in God's Word. 
Let yourself be trained with God's Word. Adequately handle God's Word. And stay out of the myths and the genealogies and the legends that will distract you from your primary responsibility. Timothy, what's your primary responsibility? It is the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's right. The Word of God. Paul tells Timothy that the Scriptures have been brought into existence through the breath of God, or, said another way, through the Holy Spirit. Peter says this, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is how we have received the Word of God. And so, like Jesus, and like Paul, and like Timothy... If we are pressed for an answer, church, if we are pressed for an answer, people should get the Word of God. This is why our first of our core values are the supremacy of Jesus Christ and the authority of His Word. So John records in his Gospel... After this, really difficult teaching, Jesus was talking about Him being the bread of life. Many of His disciples turned back and no longer walked with Him. So after some difficult teaching by Jesus, His disciples are like, this is getting crazy, we're out of here. And Jesus turns to His disciples and says, do you want to go away as well? He gives them an out. This is going to get worse from this point forward. Are you in or out? And Peter says to Him, Where else would we go? You alone have the words of life. We have come to know and to believe that you are the Holy One of God. Peter recognizes in one sentence, you are supreme and you're the words. You're the truth. Where else would we go? And so we, church, have learned and are learning to say with Peter, Lord, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have have believed and have come to know you are the Holy One of God. We believe that God's Word has been supernaturally spoken. It's been supernaturally delivered. And it's been supernaturally preserved for us, church, for for Vine and Branch. So that we might know Him and the power of His resurrection. Or that every man and woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Or again, that we would have all things granted to us that pertain to life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who has called us to His own glory and to His own excellence. It's our first core value. The absolute supremacy of Jesus Christ. What's our second core value? The authority of His Word. Let me just encourage you with 
Uh, some of us men were at a conference this weekend. Oh my gosh, did we have a good time. So good. And I've been really pressed since our time together. We talked around this around the campfire, and then when we were driving in the bus on the way home, man, we don't want to get in the habit of hearing the words of Jesus and then doing nothing. And so there's a kind of a catchphrase in the business world, no one, do one, teach one. As we hear about the importance and the authority of God's Word in our lives, we want to submit to it. And so my encouragement by way of application is to know one, do one, teach one. So, know one. Pray and ask the Lord if you don't, if you struggle with God's Word and you know you should read it, but it feels more like a burden than a privilege. If that is you, and that... It's probably been most of us in the room at some point in time. If that is you, ask Him. Teach me to love Your Word. Here's my promise to you. He will not say no to that prayer. There is no way you will get... Uh, that's, um, that's one I'm not going to answer. It's not. Because you are praying according to His will. Lord, teach me to love Your Word. By personal testimony, I can tell you, He will teach you to love His Word. Take that psalm that we read to begin with and pray through it. Lord, teach me to love Your Word. And as part of that psalm, here's another thing under no one, intentionally and regularly bring to mind all the benefits of knowing and obeying His Word. If you have trouble with that, work through Psalm 119, the whole thing, because David does that, constantly recalling what goodness God's Word does to him. Matter of fact, he says, how can young men keep their way pure? He's talking about one of the most, the strongest gravitational poles on the planet, young men to go wild, right? And he says, do you know how to keep young men from doing that? Love the Word of God. Lucuria. Here's another one. Pick a time to turn off all the screens in your home. At 9.30, everything's shutting down. Whatever that time is, 10.30, all electronics are off. Not for shutting off electronics verse, because we want to press in to God's Word. John wrote a fantastic article about meditating on God's Word at night and the benefits of doing that and brain patterns. You need to read the article. It's really helpful. We should be shutting our lives down at night with the Word of God. Those are in the back. I strongly encourage you by way of application. So no one pray, Lord, teach me to love Your Word. Turn off everything else to make sure you're immersing yourself in God's Word. Do one. And then from your reading and your meditating, things are going to come up thematically. People, you're going to hear it in people's lives. It comes on the radio. All of a sudden you're going, okay, I get it, Lord. I call it theme teaching. He gets on one chord of the guitar, and it's A, A. And it's like, I got it. No, no, you don't. We're going to keep strumming this baby all day long, right? When that starts happening, let 
run that, that word, that theme deep into your heart. Lord, you're teaching me something and I want to give it up or give into it or love it or whatever it is you have for me and then start applying it. Don't allow the word of God. We, this was a really helpful truth in the experiencing God thing we're doing in small group. Don't allow the word of God to wash over you and then do nothing. No one and then do one. And then lastly, teach one. Some of you aren't, oh, I'm not a teacher. There's, there's several do- kinds of teaching. I would say three in particular. There's one-on-one, one-to-few, and one-to-many. What I'm doing right here is one-to-many. That's my calling. It's not yours, maybe. Some of you need to be wanting to do that and looking forward to helping. But like we said with moms, teach what you're learning to your children or to your friend or to your coworker or your wife. Whatever the Lord is teaching and you're working to apply, apply know one, do one, and then teach one. Maybe in your small group you could be more vocal and speak up and share what's going on, good or bad. Or in your homeschool groups. Or at school. Or your work. People are standing around and it's a little uncomfortable for you, but it's an opportunity to speak God's truth and to push back darkness. Teach one. Father, Your Word is powerful. Jesus, You are the Word. Your words have literally changed our lives. If we're here and we know You, as Paul says, we have encouragement and hope. Father, teach us to love Your Word. Teach us to heed it, to obey it, to come under its authority. And then help us to spread it. And as we do this, Jesus calls it making disciples. We know that Your Spirit goes with us even to the ends of the earth. And so we move forward knowing in confidence as we know one and do one and teach one, that you go with us and your word goes, your truth goes forth. Like Jesus, like Paul, like Timothy, like us. For the sake of Christ and our joy, amen.